Hi, future Camille here. Uh, So I just wanted to make a note before we start the episode that while we were recording this episode, the audio got kind of glitchy. And so my amazing editor worked really hard to kind of smooth over the audio. We did some pickup lines to re-record some things so it was easier to understand. But I just ask that you are patient with it. Um, we, We did the best we could. It is such a good episode. Caitlin was an amazing guest, and I just don't know if we could have gone back and recaptured the whole thing um, when we were working together. So I hope you can still feel the spirit and still enjoy this amazing episode. So without further ado, let's go ahead. Hello, welcome to Temple Talk. Before we begin, I need to mention a few things. Firstly, I am not an official representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor am I sponsored by them. I'm doing this on my own time and on my own dime. Secondly, every resource I use to create each episode are all publicly available material approved by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I will always include links in each episode description. Lastly, if you'd like to learn more about our beliefs regarding the temple and all things, I will also include a link to the website churchofjesuschrist.org in the episode description. Thanks for tuning in, and now for the episode. Hello, welcome to Temple Talk. My name is Camille. I will be your Temple Talker, and today I have a special guest Temple Talker. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Caitlin Dana. I am a senior in high school, and I do pretty much nothing but read. That's my favorite thing ever. (laughs) Favorite book? I didn't prepare Um, you for that. Eden Brooke. Eden Brooke. Second only to the Book of Mormon. Obviously. Thank you. Yeah, I know people are like the (laughs) scriptures, and then I feel guilty for not saying the scriptures, so... Girl, I got you. I got the chance to teach Caitlin when she was eight, I think. I was her primary teacher. And I want to share a story that I'll always remember. I think it's (laughs) just the cutest dang thing ever. I had a lesson prepared. It was like Book of Mormon trivia Jeopardy or something like that. (laughs) And uh, anyway, I I opened it up and I told the class, hey, let's let's split into groups. How do y'all want to split into groups? And there was a kid in the class, a boy who suggested we should do the whole class versus Caitlin. <laughs> and another boy threw his arms out and he said, well, now we're not going to win. And I just remember being like, yeah, boy. And he said, she knows the scriptures. It's like, that's what you're all supposed to do. <laughs> I just always remember that when I think of you and it makes me happy that you would have, you would have single-handedly be all of those children, yeah. obviously. So... <laughs> I'm just super excited that you can join me today just because I think you have some great perspective of having done baptisms in the temple and having a love for the temple. So Caitlin is really grounded doctrinally. And so she was exactly <laughs> the one and only that I chose for my for my episode today. I think before we discuss temple baptisms, it'll be good to just talk about baptisms in general. Mm. Um, we'll discuss a little bit about why baptism is required by the Lord, how it's performed, and then we'll get into the history of how Joseph Smith learned about doing baptisms for the dead, and then we'll discuss about the temple. So just to kind of start off, what do you remember about your baptism? My baptism, I, it's okay. So my aunt, so the one who married my uncle, mm-hmm. um, her mom, because they had a really cool house in Colorado, so we oh, went amazing. and visited them. And she gave me this like little kid's book to prepare you for like baptism. It was about oh, this little cool. girl. And I think she had like a twin brother or something, and they got baptized and talked all about like her experience so I was like feeling way prepared and I was like okay I'm going to get baptized and I'm going to feel like all these warm fuzzy incredible feelings and it's like and then I got baptized and it was like awesome but it wasn't like Mm -hmm. I was expecting fireworks and I think that kind of threw me off a little bit Mm -hmm. but like I think even just like going to the temple and being baptized over and over again Mm -hmm. is a good opportunity to kind of get it right instead of like I'm expecting this magical experience. And yes. it's, it's a magical thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's spiritual. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all magical. I like that. I like yeah. That. I also remember because we did, it was like a stake baptism. Mm-hmm. So I went to go sit down in the chair to be confirmed. And then my dad was like, I don't know, not yet. There was like a couple of other people. Mm. So I remember being so embarrassed. <laughs> no, you're in front of the whole ward. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a couple other wards oh, and all their family. Oh, no. That's it was sweet fine, I think my dad was walking in front of me at the time. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, I'm he doesn't even remember this. I told him today. This is my experience. That's amazing. I uh, I was baptized the same day as a few other people. It was actually on my birthday when I turned eight, which was kind of exciting. I remember preparing to be baptized, and when I was uh, in the font, 
I remembered wanting my eyes to be baptized as well. So I opened my eyes underwater to make sure that they got clean too. And then I couldn't see anything for a while. (laughs) But my dad was really insistent. He was the bishop when I was baptized that the the font water be warm. He was very insistent on this. And I've always appreciated a good warm water baptism. (laughs) Stupid, but it makes a difference. Uh, When I was in the Payson Temple, it was like a hot tub in there and I did not want to get out. I was like, can we we keep doing names like over and over? Give me the temple names. So cozy getting out of that was so hard. <laughs> um, so yeah, good experiences. I think that's a really good point mentioning that a lot of people go into the temple thinking it's going to be this earth-shattering, shocking fireworks experience, which can certainly happen. But I think more often than not, our spiritual experiences are a gradual process mm-hmm. of feeling the sphere as opposed to this big you know, Alma the Younger, same angels <laughs> kind of a deal. So I'm really glad you brought that up. That was perfect. So, um, yeah, let's kind of move into why baptism is an essential ordinance before we talk about how it was done in the temple. So I pulled up some resources here, and Caitlin, feel free to interrupt if you have any thoughts. But from the Bible dictionary that we have in our scriptures, the word baptism comes from the Greek word meaning to dip or immerse. Baptism has always been practiced wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ has been on the earth and has been taught by men holding the holy priesthood who can administer the ordinances. Although there is some obscurity in the Bible as to the antiquity of baptism before the time of Jesus, from Latter-day Revelation, it is clear that Adam was baptized and that the patriarchs and prophets since his time have taught the gospel and administered the ordinances that pertain to the gospel. This includes both water baptism and the laying on of hands for the Holy Ghost. So we have all these countless examples of prophets being baptized, and the Savior himself was baptized. He did it as an example. He didn't need that ordinance because he was already perfect, but he had to set forth the example so that we could know what to do. And um, going in, we've been studying the New Testament this year as a church. Uh, Paul discussed in his letter to the Corinthians that the children of Israel were led to be baptized. Um, have a little bit from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that they were commanded um, that their fathers would be baptized, and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they did all eat the same spiritual meat, which we're going to talk about how that's the gospel and that is some of the ordinances of baptism. We also learn in the book of Moses, again from modern revelation, that Adam was also baptized. It says, And it came to pass that Noah continued his preaching unto the people, saying, Hearken and give heed unto my words. Believe and repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, even as our fathers. And ye shall receive the Holy Ghost that ye may have all things made manifest. And if you do not this, the floods will come in upon you. Nevertheless, they hearken not. So that again, even as your fathers were baptized, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that you shall receive the Holy Ghost, which is confirmations, which we'll talk about a little later. I think it's interesting to note that this was brought up specifically around Noah's time because the flood was a baptism of Mm -hmm. the world. It was a washing. It was a cleansing. And because of that, they were able to be led to where the Lord needed them to be. So the earth went through a baptism (laughs) too, which is very exciting. Um, And then, as I mentioned before, we come to Christ being baptized. He was a perfect being. He didn't require the cleansing power of baptism, but he made an example for us to follow. In the New Testament, we learn that John the Baptist, who would preach of Christ and his coming, uh, he talks about when Jesus came and met with him and asked to be baptized. And John said, I have need to be baptized of thee, and thou comest to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Um, Then we get into when he was baptized, he went straightway out of the water, and the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I well pleased. So that phrase that becometh us to fulfill all righteousness really indicates that baptism is a required ordinance for us to enter into that gate for eternal life. It has to be through the name of Jesus Christ. It has to have the proper authority. But we can't do other ordinances in the temple without that framework and foundation of baptisms and the confirmations. And so it kind of makes me a little sad when I hear youth that say, oh, I want to do my endowment, but I can only do baptisms right now. And I'm like, no, no, that's the point. We can't do this without your work. It's so important. And that's why when we reach the age of eight, which we consider in our church the age of accountability, meaning that at the age of eight, parents have that responsibility to teach their children right and wrong. 
you can't really fault a two-year-old or a three-year-old for maybe <laughs> stealing things like that. But when they're older, they know better. And we consider that the age where children are able to be baptized and make decisions for themselves, and they get to learn along the way. Thankfully, we get to talk about our baptismal covenants that as we partake of the sacrament each week, that we are able to continue to repent. Thank heavens. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. Wasn't there a talking conference about someone who said he was going to never make a mistake and then he made a mistake immediately after he got <laughs> baptized when he was I've eight? I've so many stories. Yes. <laughs> so it's, I'm thankful we get the chance to renew it, but that's what we consider the age of accountability. Um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about baptismal symbols. When I mention the word baptism, is there any words that usually come to mind for you? Immersion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, water. Being clean. Mm -hmm. Or that. Yeah, just kind of like a reset. Oh, I like Factory. that. That's a good way of putting that. <laughs> Hard reset. <laughs> Starting over yeah. again. I love that. <laughs> um, I, yeah, about water and immersion. Uh, we talk about how water is an incredible force of nature. It can make things clean again and is essential to life. It's no surprise that Christ refers to himself as the living waters, uh, which one will drink and never thirst again. It's also unsurprising that in Ezekiel's vision in the Old Testament of the temple, it shows waters rushing from the doors of the temple to flood the world. And that vision was about how the temple will flood the world, which, oh, we see that right now going on. President Nelson announcing dozens of temples, literally dozens of temples at a time. <laughs> I was going back and listening to like mm -hmm. conference talk yeah so when president monson was the top mm -hmm. and someone was like we get three new temples and i was like that's <laughs> awesome but guess what we get like 20 so that's it so just cute. makes me so happy <laughs> <laughs> oh president nelson this guy yeah i uh there's i gotta show you when we're done it's really cool and actually i'll post a resource to this someone put together a presentation that wasn't updated this year but it shows a map of the world and it does a time lapse of all the temples being built that. And obviously, when President Hinckley gets called, it just spikes. And then when President <laughs> it's just like, when I had received my endowment for Christmas that year, I wanted a map of the world. And I had little Angel Moroni stickers that I could put on all the temples. It was really cute. It was made by Deseret Book. And then President Nelson was called. And it's <laughs> the most outdated thing I own, to be honest. More outdated than my, like, Walkman. <laughs> so I love that man. He's amazing. But yeah, that flooding of the earth. And not just of temples, but of knowledge of um, coming to Christ, the light that Christ brings. Mm -hmm. So um, it's pretty amazing that this is a fulfillment of Ezekiel's vision. Exactly. We live in it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> As you said before, we associate baptisms with immersion, which is to bury someone underneath the water and then raise them up again, and they will be physically and spiritually clean again. In this way, baptism represents death, burial, and resurrection. I took sign language for a few years, and so the sign for baptism is, yeah, so it's actually the sign of death, but then you bring it back up again. And I know a lot of missionaries have heard stories where they were announcing in church someone was baptized <laughs> someone and only did it, they died. Yeah, <laughs> I think the deaf people are so wonderful. They probably were Baptists. They're eight years old. I'm guessing they're here. They're not dead. gone. <laughs> But I think it's interesting that this actual symbol of baptism and the sign of dying and bringing back to life again, which really makes me think about the story of Nicodemus talking with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ taught in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? To which his mom would say, no, thank you. That's <laughs> rather, I can't feel that. Please never. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is where I believe, and we'll touch on this lightly, but not particularly in this episode, as discussed in previous episodes, with the great apostasy on the earth, where the priesthood authority was taken for a time after all the disciples had been martyred, the truth of God's gospel really kind of became diluted with a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of things. Honestly, I feel like most of the New Testament is Paul telling people we don't need to do circumcision anymore. <laughs> like that's kind of like the second half of the New Testament because people held on to their traditions and the things that they knew, which makes sense. When you learn something new, it's hard to let go of your previous notions. And so it makes sense. I believe that so many well-meaning people tried to apply what they had learned, but they just didn't have the full understanding of it. And then I do think that we had some corrupt leaders uh, that, you know, you think about the Pharisees and Sadducees who preferred the praise of the world and they were introducing their own doctrines. And so because of all of this, 
things just the apostasy happened because there was just no full truth anymore on the earth. Mm -hmm. And that's where we kind of get some of the erroneous belief that children, if they're not baptized, then they don't go to heaven, which is super sad. And it makes sense from this quote. It sounds like unless you're born of water, then you cannot enter the kingdom of God. But if there's anything we discussed in the plan of salvation episode is that God is such a loving father and he wants to give his children every single chance to return to him. And his plan is through temples. So I'm excited to talk about that. Before I do, though, I was working one day as a dental hygienist and my patient wanted to discuss religion. She was Christian and I don't remember that she said anything specific about which denomination she was, but I mentioned that I was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And she said, so what do Mormons believe are the requirements to get into heaven? And I was focused on cleaning her teeth. And so I don't know if I gave probably the best answer. I think I gave an okay answer. I bore my testimony, but it was so interesting because I explained that the role of our Savior is essential. I explained that ordinances of baptism need to be done and that the blessings of our temple allow every deceased soul to have a chance to learn the gospel and to receive the ordinances on their behalf so that they can then choose and accept Christ as their Savior. I told her that temples exist because our Heavenly Father is merciful and he wants his children to come back to him. All the ordinances do need to be performed. We do believe that mercy can't just counter the requirements that mm -hmm. God has. Because of mercy, Christ allows us to be able to have all of those ordinances performed so that we may come back. So, you know, Heavenly Father can't just say, oh, well, you had good intentions. Come right in. That's you know, you, exactly. You have to have. <laughs> if that was the case, then there's no there's not a lot of points <laughs> yeah, to life in anything. Yeah. Also, also true. So um, she was not super impressed with my answer. She oh. got a little defensive. <laughs> she was saying that she didn't like that anyone would have to wait for their ordinances to be performed. She just said, all you need is faith in Christ, which I did tell her faith is essential. That's the building block of your testimony is faith. I quoted to her that faith without works is dead. And she didn't like that very much. But when I came home that day, I talked to my family about what we had talked about, and my dad shared this quote from Brother Brad Wilcox, who said, we don't earn our way into heaven, but we do learn the ways of heaven. Mm, that's good. That was really good. Yeah, it was a good way of putting that, because she was asking me, you know, what what things do you need to do to, like, I'll not kind of buy your way into heaven, but to get there. Right. And yeah, and she didn't like the idea that if you didn't do anything other than just have faith, that you still wouldn't be able to enter in. Um and so I thought that was just, we're here to learn the ways of heaven. And that includes doing ordinances for ourselves. And then for those who have moved on, who are deceased, how merciful of a plan it is that the Lord gives us the opportunity to do it. I am a strong believer that in the millennium, we are going to be doing all of the temple work probably over again. I'm sure we've made a terrible <laughs> mess of things. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. If you try to do any family history or genealogy, it gets, it gets dicey. Um, Duplicates yeah. and... Yeah, I'm sure people have been married a million times to probably the wrong spouses <laughs> in the temple. But that would be so awkward. <laughs> be like, like, oh, hey, you have the same name as my husband. Exactly. Not my husband. You're okay. <laughs> Thankfully, the Lord is going to fix it. We all know that this will all just be fixed. We also know that agency is just as important in the next life as it is in this life, and no one can be forced to accept Christ as their Savior. But I think the Lord giving us a chance will help continue to remind us of our covenants and also get to experience a portion of how the Savior was for us, that we're able to do something for people that they can't physically do for themselves. And in that way, it helps us draw closer to the Savior because we can understand his role better. Obviously, we're in a very small part of the way that he did it for us. <laughs> but I think that's coming to the temple is just the best learning opportunity. It's a house of the Lord. It's a house of instruction. And that doesn't necessarily mean every time you go to the temple, you learn something brand new. But as you continue to return with your new experiences, with the things that you know, with your testimony changing constantly, my testimony now is nothing like it was a few years ago. I mean, just things change and evolve as you learn more, that the temple experience will also evolve with you. Um, so, yeah, I'm sorry if you have any thoughts. Sorry, I'm talking a lot today. <laughs> so, like we mentioned that it does talk about in the New Testament that those who are not baptized are damned. And we don't really use that word too much. We don't associate the word damned with being thrown into a pit and suffering with fire for eternity. When you think about a beaver building a dam, it's literally stopping something from progressing. And so those people who have passed away and are not able to receive those ordinances cannot progress further. I think that they're happy. I think they're not in pain. 
but they know they can't receive a fullness yet without those ordinances. And so that's kind of a responsibility for us. Our faith grows whenever we do righteous works, and that includes serving and ministering and doing those ordinances. So just because a person is baptized does not mean they just get a ticket to heaven. (laughs) You're still supposed to keep your covenants, which we'll talk a little bit about, and those promises that you make at baptism to live righteous lives, to be clean, and to continually repent. Um, Belief and action go hand in hand in this way. So. Something I also want to include, it was so interesting to me, this patient that I had. She was a really sweet woman. She, um, It was very interesting talking to her, and I felt bad I couldn't really fully discuss. I only have 40 minutes to clean my <laughs> I was like, I have to have your mouth open for most of this, so I'm going to be chatting. But um, I was telling her my um, personal theory, and this is not doctrine. Do not take this as doctrine. President Kimball hypothesized that the circumstances when Peter denied Christ may not have been that Peter lacked the faith or courage, but that Christ, by telling him that he would deny him, was actually a commandment to Peter to deny him. Because Christ knew that Peter needed to have the priesthood authority to then take lead of the church. So it's an interesting concept to think maybe, just maybe, and it's a great story either way, but um, that Peter had to deny Christ in order to live and mm-hmm. to continue the work. Either way, like I said, it's it's a beautiful story of mercy that if Peter did lose the courage or faith, look at the stuff he went on to do. It's, yeah. That's encouraging to us that we can make mistakes and still serve powerful ministries in our way. But it is interesting to think about. So that was, I was kind of mentioning that. And my patient said, well, Peter is just a type A personality. So he just took over the church because he just is that kind of guy. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you think he just decided to do all this? I was so shocked because she just thought, Peter just wanted to take control and not necessarily for bad, but um, that that thought process that she had that there was no proper authority and that, you know, the things that Christ had done to set the presidency apart. It was just so interesting. And I know some church leaders, not in our church, but other churches, they get paid for a position, they study, they do all these things to kind of qualify them, but without the proper authority, they can't be as effective, I guess is the way I would say. That was just so, I I still think about that sometimes being like, oh, Peter was a type A personality and therefore he became the next prophet. Maybe that was what totally could have been. It would not surprise me. He is the guy who jumps into the ocean, (laughs) comes to Christ. He's the guy who swipes off an ear of a guard at the time when Christ was being taken. Like he is clearly a go getter. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just, I think that again, it's important that this baptism, whether you've been baptized in another faith, that you need to be baptized with a proper priesthood authority. Mm-hmm. We do baptisms by immersion versus sprinkling because, again, that's the symbol and that's the way that Christ did it for us, right. uh, for his example. And so that's why we discuss as members of the Church of Jesus Christ that we do baptisms by immersion. And the fact that little children, and it mentions in the scriptures that little children are saved in God mm-hmm. and saved because of him that children under the age of eight, they don't have all of the proper knowledge and judgment factors to make choices for themselves. So we firmly believe in our church that if someone dies of a child dies before the age of eight, that they are automatically, they're fine. (laughs) The Lord (laughs) takes them to themselves. They're already celestial and they don't need those ordinances. So, um, but yeah, uh, let's move on to kind of this question. Are there any blessings that you would feel comfortable sharing or any experiences you've had in your life because of your baptism and confirmation, like when you personally were baptized and confirmed? I think just even just having maybe not anything like what's the word I'm looking for, like kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, just knowing that there is that it's not a backup plan. It is the plan. Yeah. But be able to repent and to be mm-hmm. able to be washed clean and have that like starting over again. That just makes, I don't know, I just can't imagine. Cause sometimes I have a little bit of a sassy streak. Like I can, I can <laughs> be talking to my parents and like say something totally out of pocket and be like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. And then I'm just like so grateful that I don't have to like live with them hating me forever. You know, like just kind of, mm-hmm. they're going to hate me forever and they have every right to, and I will never be better than this. <laughs> like, I mean, I've never no like could ever hate you. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> You're too lovable. <laughs> I appreciate it. But I don't know. Just like knowing that you can, just like you can, you can be better and you don't have to be stuck in the habits of like the downward spiral. You can always like, yeah, I'm back up. You can have that strength to pull on and super having, helpful. Oh my goodness. Yes. 
No, I love that. My dad has been mentioning a lot lately where um, there uh, people talk about how when they fully repented, they're discouraged because they still remember the mistakes that they made. And my dad mentioned with Alma the Younger's experience that his sins were forgiven him and he remembered the pains of them no more. Mm -hmm. And that word, the pains, is he doesn't have that guilt associated with what he did. But I think it's so important that we still do remember our mistakes because that's the way we learn. And it's just wonderful that Christ can take upon himself those feelings of inadequacy and guilt and darkness and remove them. But we can still remember the choices that we had made so that we can continue to progress. That was a really good point. I loved that. Isn't that like the point of repentance anyways? Like learning yeah. and better? Oh, so good. I'm so, so thankful good. for repentance. Oh my goodness, yeah. Only one person lived perfectly. And it's not me. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> not, not me either is what I meant by nope. To be. <laughs> Sorry. Just judging, I guess. Zero. <laughs> but if that was God's plan, that you had to be perfect to come back to heaven, only one of his billions of billions of billions of children would have made it. And what plan would that have been? Not a very happy one. No. What's the, what would the point of life be at that point? That's no. Satan's plan was everyone would have the same outcome, regardless of the effort they put in. Right. And that's missing the point entirely. We did nothing to learn. Yeah. Then how are we supposed to become like God? How are we supposed to get the experience we need and know happy from sad and Mm -hmm. good from evil? Like that would have missed the point entirely. Absolutely. This is a learning time. This is our time to learn, (laughs) which is why I hope this podcast can be a good resource for anyone wanting to learn more about what we do in the temples and why we do them. Before we move on to confirmations, do you have any anything you want to bring up about baptisms before we get to the temple stuff? I think mostly just for me is the fact that the age of accountability is like when I was young, mm-hmm. I thought it was so old. Like being eight, I had to wait forever and I was so frustrated. <laughs> but now I'm like 17. I'm like, oh my goodness, these eight-year-olds. Do you see those eight-year-olds? They're pipsqueaks. They're so small. <laughs> I'm like, they're, you're not eight. Do, do, they, do they know do they know what the world is? Do they know, like, well, they can't do long division? Like, I mean, probably <laughs> that's the child, requirement, but, but obviously, no. <laughs> well, actually, that was a crime, and there'd probably be a lot. Oh, no, <laughs> I would not get it. <laughs> but I think it just really demonstrates the trust and the love Heavenly Father has for his children is that he's willing to let us try when we're eight and learn what we need to learn when we're eight we don't need to be perfect by then obviously because mm-hmm. if someone peaks in perfection at eight years old that would be really 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 sad it'd be a long life yeah <laughs> that's what i love that oh, point it's just kind of like a more of a giving you strength not like mm-hmm. you've earned this by yeah. your age and experience and i mm-hmm. think that's really cool to me it just kind of is like okay heavenly father doesn't need me to be perfect heavenly father doesn't need me to know everything he just mm-hmm. needs me to want to try my uncle had experience where he, uh, when he was a member of the bishopric, he came to a primary class and asked all of the kids, raise your hand if you think you're going to make it to heaven. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Every hand went up. Good. He asked the same question at a state conference in front of all the other bishops and none of them, raised, I think like one or two raised their hand. Ooh. I was like, when do we lose that confidence in the plan that God has for us as children? Mm-hmm. They get it. They, they have that a childlike faith but that that sweet innocence and understanding that they're so important to god's plan and it makes me sad to think that as adults we start questioning ourselves and our worth and our potential Mm -hmm. and so our baptism is meant to be kind of an anchor to set ourselves to that standard to see that god has potential or he sees the potential in me and because he provided baptisms he knows if i believe in christ and i do the best i can that i'm gonna be i'm gonna make it i'm gonna get to see him again Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing that up. I love that. Um, And also that reminds me in an earlier episode this season, we talked about temple recommends and why those are so important that they'll stand as a witness of your testimony and that God will not entrust you with the responsibility if he doesn't think you could live up to it. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it's that age of accountability that God isn't going to place all of the weight of the sins of the world on a little (laughs) two-year-old. Thank goodness. goodness. But yeah, that trust that he has in us. So I love that. That was a great way of explaining that. Kaylin, you're so wise. (laughs) So uh, yeah, let's move on to confirmation. Why do we do them? Going back to the Bible dictionary here, it's a great resource. The word confirmation is not found in the New Testament, though the rite itself is mentioned in several places. We're told that after Philip had baptized the converts in Samaria, Peter and John prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Then they laid their hands on them, and the Holy Ghost was given. 
It was also given at Paul's arrival at Ephesus. He found men who had received a form of baptism that they incorrectly supposed had come from John the Baptist. After they had been properly baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, the apostle laid his hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. In these instances, there is illustrated the greater authority of the Melchizedek priesthood compared to the Aaronic priesthood. The latter has authority to baptize in water, but not the power to lay on hands and confer the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Melchizedek priesthood has power to do both. Baptism of water without the bestowal of the Holy Ghost would be incomplete and would be but half the baptism. No information is to be found in the Bible as to any special age for confirmation, but it is clear that it followed close after baptism. From Latter-day Revelation, we learn that baptism and confirmation can be administered when a person reaches the age of eight years. Confirmation includes more than conferring the gift of the Holy Ghost. To confer means to make more sure. The ordinance of the confirmation completes the ceremonial process of becoming a member of the church and, as such, is complementary to water baptism. So I really like that it's to be made sure that it shows that now you've done the ordinance and the Lord would like you to receive a sealing of that ordinance that completes what it is. And obviously, many times people before they're baptized or children can feel the spirit. I think I would like to say when we feel the spirit, it feels like our spirit is recognizing home and it's oh, like I longing love. for that home. <laughs> like you're brushing up against memories of heaven kind of a thing. And so obviously you can feel the spirit of God before you're baptized, but when you're confirmed, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is that he will be with you always. You're promised that as you live righteously, he will be there to help guide you in God's light. And one of the consequences of of sinning is that we lose that influence and it takes praying and it takes takes sincere repentance to be able to feel that again. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of all I had on confirmations, but it is, it's a ceiling. And you'll find in the temple ordinances as we discuss them later in different episodes that with each ordinance you do, there is a, a ceiling to that, that it records what you've done on earth and records it in heaven of what you did. So we'll have some good stuff to talk about. Let's talk about the baptismal covenant. We always talk about when we partake of the sacrament, we renew our baptismal covenant. And I'm not always good at knowing exactly what that is. Like, (laughs) I get a general term, but I pulled up this quote. I got a lot of good quotes. This is taken directly from the missionary handbook. The term covenant path refers to a series of covenants whereby we come to Christ and connect to him. Through this covenant bond, we have access to his eternal power. The path begins with faith in Jesus Christ and repentance, followed by baptism and receiving the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ showed us how to enter the path when he was baptized. According to the New Testament gospel accounts of Mark and Luke, Heavenly Father spoke directly to Jesus at his baptism, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom in thee I am well pleased. As we embark on the covenant path through baptism, I can imagine Heavenly Father saying the same thing to each of us, Thou art my dear child, in whom I delight. Keep going. At baptism, and when we partake of the sacrament, we witness that we are willing to take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ. In this context, let us be mindful of the Old Testament commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. To our modern ears, this sounds like a prohibition against irreverently using the Lord's name. The commandment includes that, but its injection is even more profound. The Hebrew word translated as take means to lift up or carry as one would a banner that identifies oneself with an individual or group. The word translated as vain means empty or deceptive. The commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain can thus mean you should not identify yourself as a disciple of Jesus Christ unless you intend to represent him well. We become disciples and represent him well when we intentionally and incrementally take on ourselves the name of Jesus Christ through covenants. Our covenants give us the power to stay on the covenant path because our relationship with Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father has changed. We did to them by a covenantal bond. You want to read that last paragraph? The covenant path leads to the ordinances of the temple, such as the temple endowment. The endowment is God's gift of sacred covenants that connect us more fully to him. In the endowment, we covenant first to strive to keep the commandments of God, second to repent with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, third to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this by exercising faith in him, making covenants with God as we receive ordinances of salvation and exaltation, keeping those covenants throughout our lives, and striving to live the two great commandments to love God and our neighbor. We covenant fourth to keep the law of chastity and fifth to dedicate ourselves and everything the Lord blesses us with to build up his church. Awesome. That's like a little sneak peek of what we're going to be talking about in later episodes, but those are the exact covenants we make in the endowment. And you can see how that goes hand in hand with we started the path of our journey with baptism, with confirmation. And because of that, we are now able to make further ordinances in the gospel. So, yay, I look forward to that episode.
All right. We have talked all about baptisms, confirmations, age of accountability, all that good stuff. Let's get into the temple stuff, shall we? It's like this podcast is temple talk or something like that. <laughs> or something. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so I shared this in the first episode with Samantha. We talked about how Joseph Smith saw a vision in 1836 of the celestial kingdom in which he learned that those who did not receive the fullness of the gospel in this life, but would have if given the chance, would not be denied the highest rewards in the life to come. With this vision, the Lord began to gradually reveal doctrines and practices surrounding baptisms for the dead to Joseph Smith and his successors over the course of several years. I want to interrupt here with a story. When I was serving in the Houston Temple, I heard a story, and I don't know if it happened while I was there or whatever was going on, but apparently it was a really hectic day at the temple. There were a ton of groups coming and going. And I think we had a newer worker at the recommend desk. Anyway, the Houston Temple is located right across the street from a funeral home. Happens a lot that we get people who come in and are like, the funeral, we're here for the funeral. And we're like, no, that's the wrong building. But it is a really beautiful white building just on the street. But this particular day, there was a huge group coming for baptisms and to do baptisms. And someone who was not a member of the church managed to like slip past. (laughs) Anyway, made it to the baptistry, which is right behind a counter. And he was really confused. And he asked a worker and he said, is this where the funeral is? (laughs) And she thought he was joking because she assumed he was a member of the church with a recommend because he was in the baptistry. Mm -hmm. And she just made a joke. And she said, well, the dead tend to congregate here, I guess. (laughs) He just was horrified. And she caught it like immediately. She's like, oh, okay, <laughs> you, I think you're lost. And I'm not sure how you got past the desk. <laughs> so, uh, which was just amazing. And I was like, I would love to for that to have been his first experience of the church. <laughs> just us being like, the dinner here. Uh, sweet, sweet, man. Anyway, it was totally fine. It was all rectified, but it was just, I, I like to think about that. And I remember even in high school mentioning doing baptisms for the dead and the look on my classmates' face, they were like, you dig up dead people and baptize them? Like, no, yeah, (laughs) we do them on behalf of those who have already died, but that was so awful. No, not a fan. So yeah, thankfully, we don't do that. We kind of talked about how, again, that God's merciful plan is that the scriptural requirement of baptism still needs to be performed, um, but it can be fulfilled in another way. Some Latter-day Saints recognize this gap in their knowledge. Joseph Fielding, for example, thought much on the subject of the redemption of those who died under the broken covenant and speculated that perhaps those who received the priesthood in these last days would baptize them at the coming of the Savior. It's very much, as we learn, if you ever read the Saints book, which I highly recommend, the third book, Oh, good. <laughs> they have a whole chapter dedicated to Neil A. Maxwell, and it just makes my heart sing. Um, but you will learn if you read the saints and just even the early history of the church that we learned things line upon line, that God did not just reveal everything all at once because it's you know, crazy overwhelming. This is already like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. It'd be like drinking from Niagara Falls. That's, that's the best analogy. <laughs> yeah, you think about when new converts join the church and they're so confused by our, just our language of all the abbreviations yeah. and things that we have. And, like what? Yeah, yeah, steakhouse. I think Elder God gave that talk this last yeah. conference. Yes. Uh, thankfully, the Lord didn't give it to us all at once. And it took it took prophets praying and asking for guidance and those temple ordinances to be refined. Uh, a lot of changes have been made recently in the temple. And when they made some of the changes, uh, the beginning of the endowment session actually started with a message from the First Presidency explaining that although things have changed in our practice, the doctrine has remained the same. And so you're, we're going to see that this this process of the saints learning about baptism changed a lot over the first few years of the church. And again, it took that questioning. I think the Lord was waiting for someone to ask to then reveal further. Right. The Lord loves effort. Yes, he does. <laughs> um, at the funeral of a sister member, Seymour Brunson, August 15th, 1840. And again, that's, what is that, four years after his vision. Joseph Smith taught the principle that men and women on earth could act for their deceased kin and fulfill the requirement of baptism on their behalf. The saints joyfully embraced this opportunity and began almost immediately to be baptized for departed loved ones in rivers and streams near Nauvoo. They were so excited that they didn't record a lot of the things they did. They had men being baptized for women and women for men, and it was just kind of a little chaotic. They were, which, but it's so sweet because it's just how enthusiastic they were, which makes sense. Yeah, they just received like this knowledge that had changed their lives. That like these were the people that were like giving up everything mm-hmm. and traveling across the plains in handcarts. Yes, and they just, I just can't imagine like how that would feel like 
believing and loving and knowing it so much and knowing that all the people that you love mm-hmm. might not have had that opportunity if it hadn't been for this. It's de- it's depressing. Does depressing. If you don't think there's anything else, then that would be really difficult. It's still difficult yeah. to go through the death of a loved one, but to just assume that they're lost forever or because they weren't baptized, they just go straight to hell and damnation. Like that's just, yeah. that's discouraging. And this doctrine, this is, this is exciting. This is hope <laughs> that's coming straight to them. And so it, sorry, did you have something? Oh, no, I just, I just love the junction yes. of like justice and mercy. Like, yes, you have to be baptized, mm-hmm. but if you weren't able to in life, because you only have so much time and you only have so many opportunities, the gospel wasn't here with the proper authority forever. Mm-hmm. So there's still that mercy. There's still that opportunity to receive all those blessings. Heavenly Father isn't going to withhold any blessings from anyone Mm-mm. if he can help it like it just it just depends on us and people helping us and mm-hmm. us helping people mm-hmm. all of the above all everyone helping each other <laughs> yeah yeah sometimes we're the answer to someone else's prayer and the lord allows us to serve that way and i like that that we're we're justice meets mercy the temple's right there oh, yeah <laughs> that's cool Later that year, in 1841, Joseph Smith received an important revelation that not only called for the construction of a temple in Nauvoo, but forever linked the ordinance of baptism for the dead with temples. And so they pushed the construction of that temple to be done as quickly as possible, so that way they could make a suitable font where members could be immersed and baptized and receive confirmations for and behalf of their ancestors. Mm-hmm. They were given permission up till a time, you can read in Doctrine and Covenants, that they were given permission to still perform baptisms in informal settings, but that the Lord would soon dedicate that to be specific to mm-hmm. the temple. It's so interesting. I got the chance to go to Germany when I was, uh, it was going to be my fourth year of Girl Camp, like a little hard one. I don't like hiking. Nature and I keep our relationships strictly professional. <laughs> and my uncle called out of the blue and he said, hey, do you want to go to Germany instead? I was like, oh, let me pray about this one. <laughs> yes. uh, so glad I got to go. But we went to a big cathedral in Cologne, Germany. And in that cathedral, they have an underground baptismal font. And in the tour, they said they don't know what the purpose of it was. I was like, I got you covered. (laughs) Because they make sure that uh, every baptismal font is uh, ground level so that there's the symbolism of being buried and coming back. Even in the Laie Hawaii temple, the temple is actually built on a hill. And so the uh, baptismal font is in the basement level as opposed to like the first level. They are very intentional with that. So there's a lot of symbolism with that. I think it's pretty interesting. Um, and then we have a lot of collections of Joseph Smith's papers and really, and I've brought up this before, um, but Wilfred Woodruff was such a driving force for temple ordinances that it was mostly in his lifetime that they were able to really solidify exactly what they were doing. Because I remember hearing this somewhere that the, when they first started doing it on sessions, they were like six plus hours long or something, (laughs) which is (laughs) <laughs> it's it's streamlined to an hour and I think 40 minutes now or something like that. I mean, it's time to a T. So a lot of things needed to be refined, I would say. The Lord revealed to him that a recorder needed to be there. Obviously, a person being baptized needed to be done with proper authority. They needed to hold the priesthood in order to do that. But someone needed to be there as a recorder to verify that all of the records can be recorded in heaven and as is with the way of the Lord, that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses are things brought to pass. And so the Lord required a recorder to be there and two or three witnesses to witness the baptism had taken place. Uh, we also learned the refinement that men can perform the ordinances for other men and women perform the ordinances for women. Mm-hmm. That was that was changed. Um, there was the scriptural justification for baptisms to have that necessity of making sure everyone was aware of what was going on and make sure that it was done properly because these are eternal bonds that are being made. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, we uh, Lord gave us all of the materials we needed to do it correctly. There's this quote Joseph Smith said, the earth will be smitten with a curse unless there's a welding link of some kind or other between the fathers and the children upon some subject or other. And behold, what is that subject? It is the baptism for the dead. For we without them cannot be made perfect, neither can they without us be made perfect. This also reminds me, President Hinckley had a quote that I shared in a talk recently, that the ability, the sealing power to seal every ordinance we do in the temple, including baptisms, which when I thought of sealings, I did not think about baptisms being a sealing ordinance. 
But President Hinckley said, if the ceiling, power, and authority was the only thing that came out of the restoration of the gospel, it would have been worth everything the, the early saints went through, which is crazy to think because, man, that suffering was more than I can fathom. But yeah, those tribulations they went through, I like that President Hinckley was saying, so powerful is that doctrine of ordinances that it was worth all of their sacrifice alone for that. And thank heavens we got everything with the restoration. So very grateful for that. Uh, Joseph Smith concluded with this call to action. Brethren, shall we not go on in so great a cause? Go forward and not backward. Courage, brethren, and on to the victory. Let your hearts rejoice and be exceeding glad. Let the earth break forth into singing. Let the dead speak forth anthems of eternal praise to the King Emmanuel, who hath ordained before the world was, that which would enable us to redeem them out of their prisons, for the prisoner shall go free. Let us present in his holy temple, when it is finished, a book containing the records of our dead, which shall be worthy of all acceptation. So yeah, the we call the Lord's temple the house of order. And thankfully, technology has just made that so much more accessible. But in the temple, they have a temple recorder who's there for the session, who is witnessing all of the recordings and marking them down on the papers of printed names of those who have deceased or have been who have passed away. And then they also have witnesses on the side of the baptismal font, and they can be youth now, which I think is just so great that youth can now be a part of that witnessing experience. But the way that Christ taught us to do it um, in our church is the same way we do it in our temples. And the youth that get to go at the age of 12 or um, when they've received their temple recommend, and have again, we've discussed about that, have been found worthy to participate in these ordinances. They get the chance to do it for, is it, I don't know, I, they used to not limit how many names you could do now at once, but I think the single youth can be baptized for five. I think names. it just depends on the the size of your group. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. How much time you have. Because yes. one time I went to like an 8 a.m. session or something mm-hmm. like that. So it was earlier. There's like nobody else there. Mm-hmm. There's only a couple of us. And I had like 20, 30 names that I had brought. Not thinking, not like expecting sure, to be five. Sure, yeah. Um, and then I got through all of them and they're like, hey, because I was the last one yeah. to be baptized. My, my sweet friend, Robert Hecker, had his arm hit, held up at the square for like, I kid you not, 15 minutes because oh, they like kept bringing, hey, do you want to do more? Oh, sure, why amazing. not? So they brought like temple names. So there's like contessas and like all kinds of amazing. like, you know, see like long, small print. Awesome. Like, yeah. So we did a lot more than five that day. It was amazing. It was probably one of my favorite times. And it's so much cooler of an experience when you know it's your own family. Like I had, okay, so I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. I am like a total geek, but like I would like spend hours like combing through my family mm-hmm. tree going to the cousins, uncles, dogs, best friends, <laughs> like literally however I can I find it, people. Yeah. Like I would like collect tons and tons of people because my dad's dad was adopted. So we've had like his oh, line yeah. opened up like and I have um, nice. like a great, great, great something grandma who was like Pima Native American. So like there's wow. lots of like, I can like bring like s- Spanish names uh-huh. and it's like, I'm still like gringa, but like, uh-huh. I'm like, I can kind of like have that kind of claim to like not just being uh-huh. all the way white. Yeah. <laughs> I will take what I can get. <laughs> but, okay, I have to use white out for my foundation. It's, uh, <laughs> our family's very British and Scottish. So. Yeah, I got lots awesome, of that too. Though. But I had, like, brought, like, this huge sack of names, like, mm-hmm. girls and boys, because I just, mm-hmm. my brothers don't share my passion. So I just insert all an inch for them good for and you. print them out. It's a good system. And, right, <laughs> you know, I'm just so noble like that. Um, but there was these other people that I was able to, like, pawn them off on, like, help me, yeah. help me do my names. Yeah. And I was coming out of the changing room after I had done my baptism and I was like, oh. Those are my people. Like, I couldn't see it. I couldn't hear it. It was like, so I could feel cool. it. Like, those were the ones that. I was able to find and like I could tell and someone's doing their confirmations I could like feel mm-hmm. it and that was like probably the most spiritually tangible mm-hmm. experience I've had that's amazing oh it was so Thank cool for sharing the temple is so close to heaven and it makes sense that those who are so excited for their ordinances to be done will be there mm-hmm. watching and so excited <laughs> I mean you can imagine how frustrating it is when you want to do something but you do not have the ability to do it and right. how frustrating it would be I, I do think time probably functions differently in the next life <laughs> but still the fact that they're not able to progress without our efforts 
I can imagine the temple is full of a lot of excited people. I'm like, they're really happy that we're doing their work. Hopefully on both sides of the veil. Right? I like it. Yes. I remember when I used to do baptisms at the temple um, fairly regularly before I'd received my endowment, I used to say a prayer and bear my testimony and ask the Lord to like pass that my testimony on to those I was going to do work for. And I always used to feel like when I got into the baptismal font, I always used to say that I felt like my heart was beating with the anticipation of more than just me. So it was kind of fun. So it's the best. And I fully agree. Uh, We kind of talked about, yes, that the temple ordinances have been refined over time, that we need to have the the clerks, the records, two witnesses. And now after they do baptismal names, they print out the names that are either you bring from home uh, that have the format that you print from Family Search or that are shared with the temple system that they print out. And all of them have a barcode now. So as soon as you finish baptisms, they just scan each of the names and it's updated instantly to show their work has been done. And that helps reduce redundancies and, you know, someone being baptized for the 80th time, (laughs) which I'm sure the the spirits are very patient with us. (laughs) Again, I think we're just going to be fixing a lot of this stuff in the millennium, which is good, but it shows that we had that the blessings that we get for doing it too are just as important. Mm -hmm. Brigham Young concluded that Joseph in his lifetime did not receive everything connected with the doctrine of redemption, but has left the key with those who understand how to obtain and to teach this great people all that is necessary for their salvation and exaltation in the celestial kingdom of our God. Do you remember your first experience going to the temple for baptisms? I do. Um, I had a goal while I was 11 to find 12 temple names for my 12th birthday. I didn't. I found like six or seven, maybe a worthy goal. <laughs> yeah. And then my mom gave me like all the ones that she found. So I ended up like no, first I'm doing like 25. Awesome. So I, my dad, he just looked over at me and smiled as he was about testing me. He was like, that's a lot. <laughs> you good? <laughs> yeah. So I was going up and down, up mm-hmm. and down. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. I loved it. It's a great experience for your first yeah. time. Yeah, we got to go on my birthday and I tried to make it a goal, I think pretty successfully all the way through college on my birthday, I would go and do baptisms. Oh, that's so cool. I have not kept up with that tradition. I should. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of thought just to paint the picture for anyone who may not be familiar, who have never been inside one of our temples to know what it looks like. So young men and young women, they're directed, they present their temple recommend that needs to be scanned. And then they're brought back to the baptistry. And then they're invited to sit. And usually if a, if a scheduled group comes, they usually like to have a member of the temple presidency come and speak to the youth and just bear their testimony of the importance of baptism. It's not always a member of the presidency and it doesn't always happen. And then uh, they would give out white clothing to young men and young women. They were all these jumpers, these sweet, beautiful tent shapeless jumpers. Yeah, one time I had a worker being like, this one has a waist. You can have it. And it's like, hey, okay. Thank you. We'll take it. <laughs> Which is still very <laughs> little to work with. Yeah. Yes. It's not the most attractive, but it's fully covering and it's fine. Um, I was mistaken for a boy a lot uh, when I was doing baptisms because I have short hair and a low voice and it's just more times than I can get. I don't need to share those experiences, but <laughs> yeah, they're shapeless. Um, but they have those who come to do baptisms, they get dressed um, in the locker rooms and then they wait. And when it's their turn, they're able to come into the baptismal font. They have someone with the proper priesthood authority, which is anyone who's been set apart and confirmed in the priesthood, uh, will come and do the baptisms. And you just get to stand as proxy and they will baptize you in immersion as many names as they allow. (laughs) So uh, my friend and I did a temple trip once where we drove from Provo, Utah, to Idaho, Rexburg, Idaho, and we did baptisms in every temple along the way. It was five temples, one weekend, and I called it a Duncan drive because we would like just <laughs> barely get our hair dry, and then we go to the next one because they're like 30 minutes apart on some of the temples. Um, and then they have the record witness that's been done. They check it off. The witnesses are also there just to make sure things were done properly. They scan in the card. And then once you're done, you go back to the locker room. They have little shower stalls that are available that you can just take a little bit of a shower. I mean, there is chlorine in the water to keep it clean. Mm. So you will smell chlorine. Uh, You get redressed in your normal clothes and then you're brought over and you do, they lay their hands on your head and perform the confirmation ceremony of, again, laying their hands on your head and conferring the gift of the Holy Ghost for that individual you're doing the work for. And that's pretty much it. Then they update the temple system immediately and it will show all the ordinances have been done on this temple on this day. And then that's kept forever. And ever. And ever. (laughs) Uh, Do you have anything you want to say about the process of baptisms in the temple? Anything 
Um, yeah, I just really mm-hmm. love. So my either my freshman or sophomore year, there is this priest in one of the other wards mm-hmm. who is like really friends with like a bunch of people in mm-hmm. the seminary classes. And he set up this group me, and it was like everyone put your temple appointments here, and everybody oh, just so goes. Like yeah. we didn't have leaders come with us. We didn't so, have like a specific ward setting mm-hmm. it up, so we just would show up and make appointments and just like go at least once a month. And it's always my favorite to see these priests who like have the opportunity to stand in the font and baptize people and say having been commissioned of jesus christ like that was so cool to me like they can they can be immature a little bit because we all are but like they still kind of like with the age of accountability and being eight like Mm -hmm. every father trusts the youth so much more than i would trust the youth and i think that's kind (laughs) of like a hey caitlin open your eyes a little bit kind of a thing like (laughs) yeah i love that I, not to sound like I'm quoting Uncle Ben, but with great power comes great responsibility. It's true, though. Wasn't that quote by Abraham Lincoln originally? And everybody associates Probably. with Spider-Man <laughs> now. I feel bad for Lincoln. For that. <laughs> my bad. Anyway, yeah, that's my cultural reference right there. But yes, <laughs> I like that, that idea of trust coming into the baptisms. One of my favorite resources, I will absolutely link this in the notes, 75 Questions and Answers About Preparing for the Temple by Alonzo L. Gaskill. I actually tried to reach out to him for a podcast, and he said he was too busy because oh. he is a professor at BYU, oh, and uh, he was asked to be on a lot of podcasts. But he's such a nice guy; it was so great. But I was like, the fact he even responded to me was yeah, just it was geeking out. But yeah, highly recommend if you are preparing to go to the temple, if you've been a billion times, if you just want to learn more, this is one of my very favorite resources because he asks seventy-five questions about everything you experience in the temple, and he will respond with so many good things. So. Um, I do want to talk about the baptismal font design. If you have had the opportunity to either go to the temple for yourself or have been to an open house, which I'll have an episode on that later, but able to view the temple before it's been dedicated, they will walk you through the baptistry area and you will see that there's a baptismal font. We did talk about the symbolism that that font is ground level so that there's the symbol of being buried and coming again. But the baptismal font rests on the backs of 12 sculpted oxen. It's really interesting. The St. George Temple is one and Salt Lake that I can remember where the place that you sit to wait for baptisms is eye level with the oxen because they actually had to build stairs to go up to get to ground level. So there's like a little flight of stairs. And you have a staring contest with the oxen. They're just walking right there. (laughs) (laughs) Most temples, they're underneath and walled off so you don't get to see them as much. But Uh, I think one of the really interesting things is he explains what that symbol is. He says the baptismal fonts and the various temples of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are patterned after the washing laver in Solomon's temple, where the temple priests would purify themselves when they entered the sanctuary or temple. The book of 2 Chronicles describes the molten sea as, Also he made a molten sea, and under it was a similitude of oxen, which would encompass it round about. It stood upon twelve oxen, three looking toward the north and three looking towards the west, three looking towards the south and three looking towards the east. And the sea was set above the backs of them and all their hinder parts were facing inward. This description well mirrors the fonts in our Latter-day Saint temples today. But why do we place our temple baptismal fonts on the backs of 12 oxen? Why not use the temple a plain rectangular font like those at stake centers and churches throughout the world? Well, the symbolism is what's important here. The temple constantly uses symbols as teaching tools and the baptismal font is no exception. First of all, the number 12 is connected to two gospel ideas. It's associated with the priesthood, example boys typically get ordained in their 12th year, and there are 12 apostles. Therefore, this reminds us that baptism must be done in proper priesthood authority if it is to be acceptable to God. Second, 12 is the number associated with the tribes of Israel. Thus, symbolically speaking, baptism is the means by which you and I, and for those that we perform vicarious baptisms, become one of the 12 tribes or part of the covenant Israel. Why does the font rest on their backs? Oxen were used anciently as symbols of Christ and his disciples. Having the font on the backs of oxen then symbolize who it is that supports the convert and his or her decision to be baptized. The symbolism suggests that Jesus and the members of the church will support all those who enter into the baptismal covenant. It reminds you and me that we need to support each other, particularly those who are weak or new in the faith. I was talking to my dad about this, that in nature, when there's a baby animal that often, and oxen do this in particular, that when the baby is feeding, all of the adults stand in a circle facing outward to protect them from dangers. And so it's interesting that the 12 tribes of Israel are there looking outwards in all directions for safety as we're able to partake of that ordinance. 
there's a lot more cool stuff in here and I will just I won't read the whole chapter but feel free to check out this book like I said I'll link it in the description but yeah so that's one of the symbols that I think people encounter that they might not be familiar with but other than that what you see done for baptisms at the church is exactly how we do it in the temple and um yeah it's just a really special experience we talked about the blessings and the fact that when we are able to partake of the sacrament each week and renew that covenant that we're willing to to live as disciples of God, uh, the blessings are so self-evident that we are given greater power. Uh, he's giving us greater trust, and you can develop a deeper relationship. And then just that, again, that hope that we discussed that if you were not able to, or someone you knew wasn't able to receive the gospel in this life, if you didn't have the opportunity, that doesn't mean that you're lost by any means, it means that God provided a way for you to be found again. I just think it's so cool. I just love that we're given the opportunity to help in that way and to be able to be a blessing in the lives of others. Because like, especially for teenagers, we're so weird. It's so weird. Like, what what is with teenagers? I I had the same question when I was one. (laughs) We're strange creatures. But being able to make such a difference and have that opportunity to be in the house of the Lord and be in the temple before we are receiving our endowments, before making those other covenants that we are able to help other people start on the covenant path, that the temple represents all of the covenant path Mm -hmm. and that we're able to help in it as we progress along it ourselves. That's just so cool. And then another thought that I had Mm -hmm. that I really loved, especially like, because teenagers are weird. (laughs) A lot of us are like, body is changing you're self-conscious you don't know like who you are what you're feeling but like the opportunity to stand in and use the gift of your body no matter what it looks like if you're tall if you're short Mm -hmm. if you're like really teeny skinny or maybe Mm -hmm. not so teeny skinny like (laughs) however you are you're able to be that representation and serve in that way to be the body that the, the deceased don't have anymore to be able to perform that ordinance and another thought that I thought was really sweet, um, I have this friend, I love her so much. She is special needs and she is just, she's nonverbal and she's mm-hmm. really small and mm-hmm. really sweet. Oh, I love her so much. I think some special needs individuals have the sweetest souls they that really God has do. to offer. She's incredible and I love her so much. And she was able, she'd been in the temple a couple of times before, but she never felt comfortable like mm-hmm. doing the baptisms. Sure, yeah. And my other friend who was there with at her with the time, told me about when she was finally able and ready to go into the font and perform baptisms herself and just how that was such a sweet experience. Then even her with her body that didn't have the same functions and capabilities as Mm. most of the rest of ours, like even she was able to be that for someone else. She was able to um, stand as proxy and provide that gift for someone else. And I just thought that was so precious. It's beautiful. It doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter well, where uh, you're from, what mm-hmm. language you speak, the yeah. color of mm-hmm. your anything. Like, mm-hmm. just Heavenly Father loves us all. He's no respecter of persons. And he wants us all to be able to receive those blessings. I love that. Yeah, it's a huge blessing for us to do it. As much as I think it is a blessing for those that we're doing the work for. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe, and it's certainly the work that you've done, that when you get to meet some of these ancestors in the next life, they're going to be so thrilled. They're, you're going to have a welcoming party, <laughs> a welcoming <laughs> committee <laughs> oh, yeah. because of that work that you got to do. But think of all the blessings that you get of experiences just being at the temple and feeling the spirit. It's just, it's all, everything in God's work will just fill you and the person you're serving too. It just, mm-hmm. it works both ways. I love that about your body being available. That's really cool. We call our bodies temples. And that's really, I never thought of a connection before. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) Yep. The temple is full of hope. It's full of joy. And the fact that we have so many now that are available to, to be able to do those ordinances, it really, I will definitely be talking in a later episode, how to keep the temple from feeling routine in your life. And sometimes, especially if you're, if, if you become a temple worker, um, a lot of the ordinances you're focused on how it's done more so than maybe sometimes the spirit in which it needs to be done with and seeing the excitement on the youth, their faces when they come in to do baptisms always made me go taking this for granted or seeing someone who has been a recent convert to the church, receiving those blessings and just how joyful they are. You just, you see that 
And it really helps me step back and go, okay, this is, even though I'm stressed and I have to do this and this and this, like I can see how much this means to this person. And I need to get myself back to a place where that is how I feel doing these ordinances. So Mm -hmm. it's really just amazing to get to see other people do ordinances. And as we perform them for ourselves, that we just get a deeper appreciation for God's plan. It's his plan of love (laughs) and the Mm -hmm. temple is love. (laughs) And I have loved having you as my guest today. Thank you, Caitlin. You were so much amazing. Thank you. You (laughs) Well, you know, it takes one to know. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, with that, we'll uh, go ahead. We'll wrap this up. Again, if you have like to learn more about the beliefs of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I will link the church website and places that you can ask questions. I will link all the sources in. So if you'd like to do a deeper dive, feel free to check those out. And with that, we will just end with have a celestial day.